This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. I am sitting in for Mr. Jeff Sandu. In the studio with me, of course, is uh, Culture Pop's very own Matt Armitage. Hey, Rich. How are you doing today? Well, um, um, so far, so good. Let's see how things go by the end of today's show. So, uh, the editorial... No, 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 it, there's lots of happy places for I, everyone today. I, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe a word you're saying, and you're looking at me like with this really hypnotic stare that scares me a little bit. But anyway, uh, the editorial meeting for today's Matt Splained uh, was the longest in history. Uh, for 48 hours, we locked ourselves in the underground bunker that Matt calls his happy place, debating how to move forward with stories like Cambridge Analytica and the autonomous car scares. In the end, the answer was as obvious as it was simple. Killer robots. It's time to Matt Splain. I'm going to take a wild guess here. Have you been watching the movie Geostorm? I have, but that's actually more of a coincidence than anything else. Um, it's a good movie. It's essentially just Gerard Butler reenacting Olympus. Yes, Olympus has fallen, but, you know, in space. In space. Yeah. Have you noticed, though, that Gerard Butler and Do Gray Scott are kind of interchangeable <laughs> lead <laughs> actors? You know, you've got... Butler, who's the beefy one, but they do seem to do the same mixture of rom-coms and blockbusters. So I tend to think of Do Grey Scott as being the thinking woman's Gerard Butler, uh-huh. whereas Gerard Butler is more the kind of gutter thinking woman's Do Grey Scott. So now Matt Splained is uh, obviously a movie review show. Uh, now, we're dangerously off topic, Matt. Some of our listeners might want to know what goes on in the uh, happy place uh, we run about. Well, I could tell you, but um, then I would have to take you to my happy place and kill you. Uh-huh. Um, possibly quite slowly, with some nice music in the background, maybe order something in from Uber Eats. <laughs> exactly. And then on other nights, I just watch Netflix. There you are. Matt Armitage, uh, less fun than a killer robot. How are those uh, pesky machines trying to kill us now? Then? Weirdly enough, there is a kind of link between Geostorm and the story that our listeners may have spotted this week about mm-hmm. China's Chang'an 1, the space station that is due to crash back to Earth any time now. Now, I think we first mentioned this story last year, probably around October time. Um, and somewhat ironically, Tiangong means heavenly palace in Mandarin. It's an eight-ton space station that China put in orbit back in 2011 as part of its plans to become a space superpower. Uh, It wasn't manned, but uh, as it was designed essentially as a test unit, uh, they wanted to be sure that their rockets could dock, that life support systems would function over long periods. But it is habitable. Uh, China has sent astronauts to the unit to do experiments in the lab there. But back in 2016... China admitted it had lost control of the station and its orbit has been decaying ever since. It's due to hit the ground as early as this week. Uh, If it hits between the recording of this show and the time you listen to it, don't switch off. We will get to the killer robots, I promise. Promises and coincidences from Matt, uh, neither of which can be trusted, of course. Uh, Do we know where the station is going to hit or even which station it's going to hit? Well, no, you know when you watch disaster movies like Geostorm or The Day After Tomorrow 2012, they'll always say something like... An asteroid storm is going to hit Paris on Tuesday at 1pm. Right. And for some reason, Paris is nearly always the first to be hit. Then there's somewhere in India. And then you go to the UK's Houses of Parliament and Big Ben will go up spectacularly. It's either destroyed by a superheated space rock or a screaming kaiju. 
where and when things will land is kind of a nonsense. Um, you can do some modeling of the likely outcomes, but you can't really say exactly where things are going to hit. And though it sounds weird to say, it's probably harder to determine where something like the space station, which used to sit above our planet, is going to hit compared to a meteorite or an asteroid that has been speeding through space for half of eternity. The heavenly palace is spinning around our planet at roughly 27,000 kilometers an hour. That means it could pretty much hit any part of the planet when it finally decides to plunge to Earth. Luckily, most of it will get burned up as it re-enters the atmosphere, but it is possible that part of the ship may burn through and plunge to the ground. The the parts might be the size of pebbles or potentially much larger. Um, you know, how much risk is there that it might hit uh, somebody like me, a person, or indeed a building? Well, go back to when you were a kid and the times you threw a lit firework on the ground. You know, it's... I'd never do that. Of course not. Um, it's spinning, it's sparking. No one knows where it's going to fire. So everyone runs in different directions. And as you said, it's a really stupid thing to do mm. and kids shouldn't do it. You've actually got a lot more chance of being hit by that firework than being hit by the heavenly palace. Most of our planet is water. Most of the land is still largely devoid of people. So statistically, it is more likely to hit where you aren't. You don't need to run away from this firework. The odds I've seen range from one in hundreds of billions to one in 21 trillion. The odds are actually considerably higher that you're going to end up in my happy place. And stuff falling from space happens a lot more often than you think. Apparently, the space station is only the 50th largest man-made object to fall to Earth. The largest was Skylab, a NASA space station that weighed a mm. massive 77 tons and came down to Earth over Western Australia back in 1979, scattering bits over a wide area. A really nice end to that story. Uh, a county in Australia sent a, a littering ticket to NASA because some of the debris came down on a public highway. Brilliant. You'd have to do it. Of course. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, right. So um, has anyone ever been hit uh, by a falling rocket? Well, ironically, there's a, a fairly good chance that our first encounter with an alien species will be when a Tesla Roadster crashes into their spacecraft somewhere out there in the Milky Way. Uh, it probably should have one of those tinted window strips that cars used to have in the 1980s. So yep, yep. Elon would be over the driver's yep. seat and alien on the uh, passenger <laughs> side. Can you imagine the insurance claim for that? Sorry, did you say your car hit a Class 5 intergalactic cruiser on its way to Beetlejuice, um, what's the speed limit uh, around there? Uh. You know, to go back to your question, the answer is possibly. Uh, according to a story from Wired.com, a lady called Lottie Williams may have been hit by part of one of NASA's Delta rockets as she walked through a park in Tulsa, Oklahoma in uh, January 1997. She wasn't hurt. Um, a small piece of something hit her shoulder. It was never definitively identified as coming from the rocket, but the time and location coincided with the rocket burning up in that part of the atmosphere. All right, so that's your public service announcement done. Thanks. Uh, does the story relate to anything bigger? Where, where are these killer robots you were talking about? Well, in a sense... A big autonomous space station is a killer robot. I know I'm cheating uh, a bit with the yeah, definition you're here. You're fudging it a little I'm bit. I'm fudging, yeah. yeah. But we're interacting with an increasing amount of this self-propelled technology. And there is a Darwinian effect. Where we rub up against a new and unfamiliar species, in this case, robots and autonomous machines, there are going to be casualties. Uh, I assume that you're talking about the incident with Uber's uh, self-driving killer car. 
Yeah, which we discussed last yeah. week in Geeks. Yeah. Now, there are very real and tragic circumstances that occur when we try out new technology, and that, of course, was one of them. Statistically, this almost had to happen. When you have a ton or more of metal traveling at speed and it comes up against uh, puny humans with their protective layers of muscle and bone, there really aren't any good outcomes. Yeah, we're a bit squishy, aren't we? We're very, very squishy. So something like this is genuinely going to happen at some point. And let's be honest, the driver of any kind of car is imperfect. Um, people make mistakes. We cause thousands of fatalities on roads every year. And the machines we're trying to replace us with are still in their test phase. Mm. So inevitably, they're going to make some mistakes as well. In this case, the disaster was twofold. Uh, neither the car's operating system nor its fail-safe human driver were able to react in time to save a life. The tragedy is that this happened to Elaine Hertzberg. So... Uh you think that this is the kind of story we're going to be hearing more of? Yes, we're going to see a lot more of these stories. Um, in terms of uh, vehicles, the one in which automation seems to be working most successfully is actually in aviation. And why does that work? Well, because of their size and speed, planes have to keep a vertical distance of at least 300 metres apart. If the planes are flying at the same height, they should keep an amazing distance of 15 nautical miles apart. Mm. So even when the autopilot is on, the human crew should still be fully engaged. Right. And if a plane lands itself, normally it does so on a runway at an airport. You know, that's an area that's noticeably devoid of children's play parks. <laughs> yeah. What aircraft don't do is fly through shopping districts and residential areas, nose to tail with the planes in front and behind them, and inches away from flights coming in the opposite direction. So a lot of, in a lot of ways, the plane has the much easier job. Building powerful machines that interact with humans in our spaces is very, very risky. Now, do you think then that it was uh, possibly too soon to be testing this kind of machinery on a public road? I'm really glad to say that I don't have to know the answer to that question. Um, companies like Google have been playing with this idea for quite a number of years now. So this technology is not desperately new in that sense. Most of the major car manufacturers do seem to be in this game in one form or another. Uber has been doing it for less time than Google, but more time than other companies in the field. Are any of them ready for public testing? We don't really know. Was Uber the odd one out? We don't really know. How do Uber's systems compare to the competitors? Again, we don't really know. Uber's system may be the best or it may be the worst. The likelihood is that it's somewhere in between. What I am fairly sure of is that this kind of accident had to occur at some point. Even if the systems have been tested for decades and they're computationally perfect, it doesn't matter how many fail-safes in place. At some point, metal hits meat and meat becomes mince. You know, we discussed this a little bit on Geek Squawks last week, so I don't want to spend the, the whole show yeah. doing it. Humans and robots are coming into ever closer proximity, so I wanted to have a look at some of the results of those interactions and have a think about what we can expect from them in the future. When you say have a think, you mean you mean get, things are. Oh, I really mean heavy. get dark. You're going to get, get dark. Get really, right. really dark. Okay, that's all coming up after the break. Of course, you are listening to uh, Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. I'm Rich Bradbury sitting in on behalf of Jeff Sandu. We'll be right back after these messages. Building First World Mindsets, BFM 89.9. 
BFM 89.9 and the business station. It is Matt Splained. I'm sat in the studio with Matt Splained himself, Mr. Matt Armitage, of course, from Culture Pop. Uh, that's right, we're Matt Splaining on this sunny and possibly fragrant fun Friday. Matt is talking about, well, killer robots. Yeah, my favourite topic. Are robots a fantasy or a nightmare for you? I'll just start off with that. Well, we're heading into happy place territory oh, no. again. Uh, one Matt's fantasy is another man's nightmare, as they say. Who says that? Very often the recently departed. <laughs> On the subject of uh, fantasies... I will be talking about sex robots at the BFM Health and Living Live event on mm. uh, Saturday, April the 7th. I'll be on a panel with Dr. George and a bunch of other people who are a lot more qualified to talk about this stuff than I am. But yes, uh, we're talking about robots uh, with a murderous nature rather than a seductive one today. One of the most common places for interactions between humans and robots, of course, is the workplace. Um, mm. As usual, white-collar workers are not the ones who are most at risk. That joy is reserved for the people who do the heavy lifting, or at least for the people who used to do the heavy lifting. Industrial jobs. Yeah, I mean, we've all seen those 1960s and 1970s sitcoms where human secretaries are replaced by robots, but... In reality, it's the world of manufacture, especially the factory floor, where you're most likely to come into contact with the machines that we most closely identify as robots. We've long relied on machines to make everything from food to clothing to roof insulation, you know, pretty much everything. Yeah. But by and large, those machines were human-operated, and humans did most of the fetching and carrying as well. A lot of modern and high-technology factories now look more like labs. You know, they feature a combination of strange coloured lines and weird hieroglyphics on the floor. They're not symbols declaring membership of some villainous super club. You know, you haven't wandered into Spectre. Those lines and symbols enable the automated workforce to find its way around as it does all of that heavy lifting, leaving the human operators to lurk in a control room somewhere, eating donuts and discussing their similarity to Homer Simpson. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that most of these factories have in common, whatever they're making, is that humans are not allowed on the shop floor while the machines are in operation. Some factories have automated systems that switch off the entire production line if a human wanders into the machine area. You know, we've all seen the, the YouTube clips of a robotic arm that picks up the raw egg without breaking it. Those are propaganda yeah, videos. Yeah. You know, these machines are usually custom made. A robot arm might put it might swivel around nearly 360 degrees at high speed with seemingly no warning, holding half a car. The homers sit in their cubicles running programs that keep everything in sequence, but those programs do not factor in slow-moving donut eaters wandering around between the machines. <laughs> I, I'm guessing then that uh, factory robots have indeed killed people. Health and safety laws were not always what they are now. So, yes, you would be correct in that <laughs> assumption. Um, it seems likely that the first person killed by a robot in this kind of environment was a guy called Robert Williams. Uh, a robotic arm struck him on the head uh, on a Ford production line in a plant in Michigan back in 1979. Now, the judge later ruled that the factory had insufficient safety procedures in place, and that's what resulted in uh, Mr. Williams' death, and his family was awarded $10 million in damages as a result. Not a great result. They would prefer to have right. Robert person. around. Yes. Yeah, exactly. In 1981, a guy called Kenji Urada was killed in a Kawasaki plant in Japan. It was reported that the machine he was killed by was actually turned off and that Kenji stepped over the security rope that kept people out of its area and knocked the on switch 
of the machine oh. as he did so. And, of course, the machine came to life. It uh, pinned and crushed him to death before his colleagues could rescue him. Now, I'm not going to list out all of these things. You can Google it if you want to see the impressive toll of, you know, roboticides. <laughs> um, where else do we often come into contact with robots then? Well, oddly enough, in hospital, the place that you might expect to end up after an unfortunate incident <laughs> with a robot. This one actually came as a bit of a surprise to me because I've been quite a proponent of robotic doctors and surgeons over the last few years. Um, I've been forwarding the position that uh, the machines are more reliable than human doctors, so I might have to rethink uh, that position. Yeah, I was of the same kind of uh, thought process as well. Well, it turns out uh, that uh, robots uh, have played a part in the death of close to 150 people between 2008 and 2013. So no some way. of the deaths are what we would term as negligence in a human doctor, such as parts of the robot falling into the body cavity or it dropping materials into the cavity. Other issues were more technical, such as machines freezing or needing rebooting, video feeds or cameras malfunctioning. You know, of course, the successes outweigh the losses, but it goes to show that a lot of this technology is what future Matt would probably think of as being primitive. Right. Uh, or, uh, if we can't trust the doctors, can we trust the police or the armed forces? There's robots there. Sure, why not? Who better to stop things from killing people than the police and the military? Uh, if you didn't detect the sarcasm there, even in the best case scenario, no. Right. Um, some robots are designed to kill, um, the argument being that it saves lives on our side and ends lives on their side. Most countries with modern military forces now seem to have some kind of autonomous weapon systems. They have aerial drones for reconnaissance and on occasion covert assassination and bombing. Uh, you get automated firing systems for tanks and artillery and uh, for naval guns. We have bomb disposal and detonation systems that are all uh, run by robots. I mean, when you look at modern jet fighters, those things are simply too fast and complex for right. human pilots to fly without enormous help from the computers. So you could probably describe them as being as close to cyborgs yeah. as we currently have in that the machine needs both the human and the robot in order to function. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a huge range of things that both preserve and take lives, and it isn't limited to national militaries either. Terrorist organizations are making use of commercial drones, uh, such as the ones you or I might buy to irritate our neighbors, and those can be used to transport small items or even as improvised bombs. Terrorists aside, uh, I, I believe that most of those systems are still guided by human operators. Uh, they're the ones who decide when to shoot the gun or when to drop the bomb. Largely, although not exclusively, um, nine members of the South African Defence Force were killed by their own artillery piece during a training exercise back in 2007. Now, that's 11 years ago for those of you who think this kind of robotic automation has only been around for the last five minutes. The machine had a semi-autonomous system that allowed it to target and shoot at aircraft, presumably because... That makes it faster and more accurate yeah. than a human gunner. Now, what happened has been contested, but it seems likely that the gun, while on its lowest elevation, malfunctioned somehow and swiveled round while firing and killing the team that was operating it in the process. Are, are the police any better? So far, we don't have any of these kind of Robocop-type instances. Thankfully. 
But private security firms have been using robots to patrol malls and premises with fairly mixed results. A couple of people in the US have been caught trying to tip over or otherwise vandalize the robots. Not their finest moment. If the bad guys can tip you over, then your good guy credentials <laughs> are going to be a little bit weak, right? There is one recorded case where police officers put a robot on the offensive. That was in 2016 in Texas. A gunman called Micah Johnson had killed five police officers and injured seven others. Rather than risk more lives in a standoff with the shooter, a bomb disposal robot was fitted with a small amount of plastic explosive and it was driven towards the gunman, whereupon it was detonated. Uh, is this where we talk about the ethics of all of this? I mean... Don't get me wrong. I mean, I could see why they've done it. But, but that doesn't make it right. It doesn't right. make it right. No, I know. Um, for today, I'll leave the ethics part to other people and concentrate on what a society with these machines might look like. Oh, we'll, great. Yeah, great. we'll yeah. probably yeah. look at the ethics another day. Uh-huh. Because in a lot of these cases, the robot was doing what it was supposed to be doing. In factory environments, there may be a lapse in safety that causes injury or worse. A human might knowingly subvert the safety protocols and get hurt that way. When you look at the South African case with the autonomous cannon, it may have malfunctioned a bit, but mostly it did what it was supposed to do, which is to shoot at anything that moves. That notion that we have of friendly and unfriendly fire, the machine doesn't make that distinction. Its purpose is much simpler. Fire. Yeah, this is one of your trademark dystopias. Possibly, although I think my dystopia is probably the opposite of what most people are imagining. You know, when we think about movies like The Matrix and The Terminator, one of the things that's so terrifying is that these machines are working together with a sense of purpose. Mm. They have intent, there's a plan, there's an end goal. And that end goal is usually to eradicate the human race and make the robots the planet's top predator. It's kind of a remake of Wacky Races for the genocidal. That's a scenario we understand. It's still the good guys versus the bad guys, where the humans are, you know, invariably the good guys. Which means then it plays out like any binary story. Yeah, sometimes the good guys win, sometimes the bad guys get the upper hand. You know, there's an ongoing struggle, there are two sides, and you pick a side or a side is picked for you. You know, it's that hero's journey nonsense. Mm. And you're right, we have turned into a movie show. (laughs) In a lot of ways... I think the situation that we're heading for could be even more frightening. Because there's no real sense of who the good guys are. Well, more because the machines just don't care. Um, When you look at the Terminator franchise and the Matrix, there's still some kind of central command. There's some body that we feel we can reason with. Uh, In the Matrix, an accommodation is reached with the computer system so that humans and machines can coexist. In Terminator, who knows? Every time they reach a resolution, they jump it in time and reboot it in another direction, start again. In both of these instances, we have an enemy and the robots behave very much like a traditional human enemy. In our world, the machines are actually implacable. They've been programmed from a task. You know, you can throw Asimov's three laws of robotics and doing no harm to people straight out of the window. We're building machines that can't be reasoned with and some of which have no other purpose than to kill. To kill, yeah. Yes, we can turn them off, but that's usually after the fact. You're not preventing harm, you're just preventing more harm. It's like one of those recurring Star Trek plots. There's this planet whose inhabitants have wiped themselves out, but whose automated weapon systems continue to target and fire on any ship uh, that enters their atmosphere. Precisely that. You know, those are the systems that we're currently building. Uh, If anything, we might actually be better off with a Skynet. 
a control system with intelligence and a rationality, something that has an awareness of itself, something that has some kind of responsibility. The really scary robots are the ones that have a purpose and no brain. If we go back to the case of the Uber car and Elaine Hertzberg, for the machine controlling the car, that was data. It files it as something not to do again because that's how we've programmed mm. the machine. Change the programming and it would use that same information to target every pedestrian it encounters in the same way that it now avoids them. It's not that the machine doesn't care, it's that it can't. It can only do what it's been told to do. If we build a Skynet, if Skynet decides to hate us, at least that's something we can understand. If we can't turn it off, at least that's something that we can fight. Killer Robots. Killer Robots. Fun Friday. Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.